Welcome to The Greenhouse Effect. Our hope is that this podcast would be like a greenhouse to help you get unstuck and grow into your full potential because life ought to be fully lived. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Steve Perkins, and today you're in for a real treat. Um, Today's guest was featured in Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes, Fast Company. Uh, His company has recently grown to, I think the exact number we just calculated is 739 team members, and they all work from home, which is really fun, and we'll get into that a bit. They've made the Inc. 5000 list four times. They made number one on Entrepreneur Magazine's best company, Culture. Obviously, I love that award. But Brian is an innovator, a backpacker, mountain climber, writer, mentor, husband, father. He's just an all-around really cool guy, and I think you guys will enjoy him. Um, He's also the author of a book called Virtual Culture, The Way We Work Doesn't Work Anymore. So without further ado, today's guest is the CEO and co-founder of Belay, which you guys have been hearing about on the podcast, with his wife, Shannon. Uh, Welcome to the show, Brian Miles. Thank you so much. Thrilled to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. This is really exciting. And I think, you know, all those accolades, which I'm a little out of breath, you got too many. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the thing I personally love about Belay the most, and we were talking about this, is just you guys are really a company with purpose and with kind of an abundance mindset. But also, you guys just have incredible, truly incredible customer service. And that's coming from being a client of yours. Well, first off, thank you again for the opportunity to be here today. And I'm thrilled that you are happy with our service, you know, it's, um, when we started this business back in 2010, we wanted to create a company that we could be really proud of, um, not only just in terms of the services that we provide, but also just our culture as a, and, uh, we've, we've invested tons in our culture so that, uh, we you know, cre- create a healthy company, a healthy staff that creates healthy results. And you're, you know, you're seeing the byproduct of that. Yeah. And, you know, having a background myself in working on company culture, people would always ask me what kind of culture. It's like this word that we just throw out, but people don't know what it means. And to be honest, I had a hard time answering that because it's kind of conceptual. But when you say healthy culture, I mean, what are some of the characteristics you're thinking about? Well, I, I think that, you know, it's the ones that probably everybody thinks about. You know, it's fun. Um, it's, uh, it's a place where people feel trusted. It's a it's an environment where people are expected to see results and that they feel personally responsible for those things. There, it's an environment where people feel connected to the mission and to the you know the core values of the organization. And it's not just some plaque that hangs somewhere and collects dust. It's actually something that they can point to and it's very tangible. Um, and we've you know we've proven over eight years of doing this that it's completely possible even with that in office. In yeah, fact, you know sometimes a lot of people think that culture is an office. And it's, it's not at all. Um, you know, we all ask people, you know, well, tell me about your culture and they'll start talking about their, you know, their nice five story building. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, That's not culture. Yeah. And so when people ask me like, well, what's culture to you? I just say, it's, it's really kind of a shared vision. It's something that you all have together that you're working on together. It has nothing to do with bricks and mortar. It's just shared vision for wh- wh- where you're headed collectively. That's so good. You know, I have experienced a lot of that uh, culture coming through the service that Belay offers. And I mean, I guess that's the end hope is it's not only impacting yeah. the lives of employees, but customers too. And so, you know, it's fun to hear the behind the scenes after experiencing that 
the you know the output or the outcome of that as a customer yeah we you know my wife and i we've worked you know we had had careers before we started this organization uh belay and um yeah we've been in some okay cultures and some not so okay cultures and we just decided that we were going to create a company that we wanted to really be part of and so to do that we had to be very intentional about it and culture is really a cool thing because not only it should spur your employees and your contractors to serve and perform well but it also creates a nice um orbit or, or barrier if you will for those that kind of come into it and then they're either attracted to it or they orbit out and it works really well when a culture is nice and healthy. There's some kind of natural byproducts and unintended gains <laughs> by just focusing on on the culture. Because I think for a lot of people, it's an afterthought. It's like, well, first we got to get some things done, check some, sure. check off some to dos, and then we can think about culture. But they're they're missing a lot of the a lot of the byproducts that come as a result of focusing on it first. Oh, I agree. I think that oftentimes, well, we, we see it in organizations, their, their leaders or their executives, they'll go to their HR or culture department and say, okay, make culture happen. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's not, I mean, they can help execute and reinforce and make pervasive, but leaders, the, the owners or the executives or senior leaders in the organization have got to be the one that set the tone for culture. It's not some secondary thing that you treat in secondary fashion. It's either all or nothing. And you know, we've like we've just worked so hard as an organization to make sure that our our team gets that. And yeah, it's, it's very um, you know palpable for them. Well, thanks for setting that example. I mean, clearly, it doesn't work against or take the place of getting results. You guys have had incredible results the past few years. But um, I think another cool part about this is a lot of that culture, from my observation, came out of um, how you and Shannon are living personally and how you're leading. And kind of that that personal culture side of things, which is a lot of what I want to dive into. So maybe give our listeners an idea of what Belay is. Uh, you know, you guys provide virtual assistance and staffing of different kinds. But like I said, my experience was right out of the gates. The first, you know, I heard about you guys on a podcast, contacted you, and the first conversation all the way through till now has just felt like this white glove service. It's it's literally like, okay, Steve, who is the exact kind of person you need? What's the culture of your company? What's your personality, leadership style? And you guys took all of those inputs, and then it's like you went off and magically found exactly the person I needed for my business. So um, I was blown away by that. But you know, a lot of this world of virtual staff and virtual assistants is kind of um, unknown to people. So just Give them a give them a taste of what what is it you guys do, and sure. and a little of that background. You bet. So um, the 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 term belay is really just um, it's a, it's climbing command or a climbing term that you use. In in essence, that question means do you have me? It's you know can I climb higher? Do you have me? And um, you know the person that's belaying is in a support role. They're there to serve the client or, or the client. In our case, with climbers, they climb higher. So that that question of "Do you have me?" which is you know a question of you know um, you know on belay. That's kind of the climbing term. And then the belayer says "belay on." So that's it's our command to them to say, "Yeah, climb higher. We've got you." And so we do that with three very meaningful services. It's really stuff that most leaders. Um, have a hard time finding people for. Um, it's it's also the stuff that leaders find very unsexy. And what we've done is we've gone out and found really great people around the country 
that can do this work at weapons grade and really serve our clients in a meaningful custom capacity. So in essence, these climbers, these clients, they're climbing higher and we're, we're putting great people behind them to help them achieve what they're trying to accomplish. That's so cool. Yeah, I've only climbed a few times, um, mostly indoor. I really enjoyed it. I actually want to do more. We have a place near our house. I want to get my daughter into it. Um, she has a lot of energy. She needs to burn off, but <laughs> I don't know where she gets that. I really don't. But um, I, this never hit me till you just were kind of explaining it that way. Usually like halfway up the wall, I would start getting pretty nervous and the the heights fear would start to kick in and you get a little shaky. And it's like the next hold is just right there. It's, it's not that hard, but you're just nervous about how high up you are. And as you were describing that, I was remembering that what I would always do is look back at the person belaying and it kind of like yeah. gives you that confidence, like, okay, they got me. And then you go the next, the next step. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly it. So we do that for, you know, out of breath leaders that are in all sorts of different capacities, whether they're an attorney, a physician, a CEO, a pastor, an author, you name it, <laughs> whatever that is, we just come alongside them in that way. You know, I, I, I mountain climb. I'm not a rock climber because I don't see the point in getting on top of a rock, but I, I do see the point in getting on top of a mountain. And so for me, that's personally, you know, I love the mountain climb. Um, and I've been stuck um, in snowstorms in the middle of the night where, you know, it's a pretty sticky situation out on some wet, you know, mountain out west, you know, say two in the morning and I can, and I can barely see my belayer below me and I'm yelling the word, you know, on belay. And then waiting for the, you know, <laughs> the command up to play on. Uh-huh. And that's the confidence that you need to kind of pierce through something and kind of achieve what's the, that next, that next summit or that thing you're trying to accomplish. And it's, you know, it's, um, it's very personal, you know, like if this person doesn't have me, I may not come home with my family. You know, if this person doesn't really perform in the way it's expected, we both can get hurt, you know? And so there's, there's a lot on the line and we know that, I mean, we see the cool things that our clients are doing in so many different ways to impact the world or what they've been called to do, whether that's be a great CEO or a great business owner or whatever it is. And we just feel like we're in a great support role and a service role to them. Um, you know, and it, and it ends up being the things that they, they struggle to find people like this. Most times um, they, they don't like doing this stuff and they don't feel like they're called to do it. And so we find great people that just, you know, are really awesome at that. They can do that. And we, you know, it, it is a custom service. It's every leader, is different in terms of their needs and we we do everything we can in our power to to make sure that our our you know our clients really feel that and see that as we're onboarding them yeah and from my experience there's also a lot of flexibility which is great for the types of leaders you mentioned or growing businesses you guys take care of so much of that kind of hr load that you know maybe a big corporation has staff to handle but a growing or smaller business especially can't handle all that and I'm, I'm surprised too we even work with some very large organizations you know billions of dollars in revenue and the reason why they come to us is because they can't find those people either and um you know so it's it's not just a small business it struggles to find great people from the administrative standpoint large corporations have a deficit in this area too sometimes the reason for that is that um in larger corporations or medium-sized corporations say like maybe 500 million or more in revenue. Um, these assistants, they actually, they see that as more of a dead end job. And so there's, there's a growing deficit of really great need, you know, needed admin workers out there. And so we're providing kind of a, a solution to these organizations that, you know, have significant, you know, admin needs. Or yeah, requirements. that's so cool. And it is a win on both sides because 
as we move towards more of a gig economy, more people wanting flexibility in their work and kind of things on more of their own terms, but but also people, you know, patching jobs together or wanting to be at home with kids more and have some work. There's so many scenarios where people who would be working for Belay, it's also a great way for them to get some meaningful work and still kind of meet personal desires and needs they have, which to your point makes sense, even with a big corporation, that that would be a great win on both sides. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I I didn't realize when we first started the organization, like I, I had a lot of high hopes for what this company could be in its future. And it was like any other startup. It was a, it was a struggle. It was an early struggle and all that crap. All that said, one of the cool things I just didn't see was that we provide meaningful work for so many people around the country that may not otherwise have that opportunity. So if you're in rural Iowa, you have a high-speed connection, you've really got a, a great college degree, and you've even got really great work experience, but you only want to work 20 hours a week, there's not a great, meaningful opportunity for you, likely. Yeah. And so what we found is we take these really great people, and we've been able to put them and work for a large company or for a nonprofit or for whatever, and really have great, meaningful work and, and give them access to jobs that they otherwise wouldn't have. And so for me, that's incredibly rewarding. I mean, there's there's um, there's stay-at-home moms out there that maybe their husband's sick. There's stay-at-home dads out there where they've got freedom and flexibility because their their wife works full time. There's um, there's kids of aging parents that are really have awesome work experience, but they have to be around their mom and dad to take care of them. These are all people that have in the past been um, neglected or marginalized by corporate America. And so what we're doing is we're going and saying, no, 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 these are great people but they don't want to work for you 40 hours a week and they don't want to be your employee. Mm-hmm. But they want to work and have meaning. So we've been able to create that, um, you know, now over eight years and create a pretty good reputation for doing that. That's cool. I mean, what does that do for you personally, seeing some of that stuff come to life? It's humbling. I mean, it, you know, what it does for me personally, um, it motivates me. The, the types of things that we were in the early days, you know, we've had to, you know, force ourselves to grow and change and alter to kind of keep up with the scale of our business. And so, you know, hearing and seeing stories like that motivates me and it motivates our leadership team to really, you know, get after it and make sure that we're creating an environment that's of meaning and that, you know, will sustain itself. Such good stuff. I feel like we could talk about that for hours, (laughs) but we're going to dive into, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) All right, listeners. Um, this episode is going to be about three more hours, so buckle up. <laughs> I feel like they would be in for that. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna transition us to what to me is most exciting about you. What I'm most fascinated by. I mean, we're pretty new to each other, but I've noticed and heard um, this aspect of who you are uh, from multiple angles, and I think it just hits on something that this podcast is all about, and that um, greenhouse culture is all about, which is how can you kind of scale your impact? How can you multiply yourself while still maintaining a life and your values, the things you care about most? And I just can tell you are a person who really lives this out, doesn't just say it. So um, so I think our key question for today is how can you multiply your time and impact? And you're a master of delegation. You're kind of someone who really actively seeks to live this out in in your personal life and in the company. So, I mean, where did that journey start for you? I mean, you're incredibly kind with your words. I appreciate that. I am far from perfect as an individual. 
So let's just get that out there. Really oh, clear. okay. Well, let's wrap it up then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say this though. I, I think, I think if what I'm understanding your question to be, it's you know, how are we able to scale our organization and keep everything in, in, in mind as we do? Um, I think if I'm hearing you right. And I, I think for me, it's, it's really a simple, simple thing. And my wife and I both carry this premise is that we're stewards um, you know, the, the word stewardship, you often hear that around churches, but frankly, it's, it's a great leadership principle um, because it, it means a few things. Stewardship for us, for me personally, is that that means that I am in this role for a season of time. There's an element of accountability and responsibility coupled with its time bound. So when I say like I'm currently the CEO of Belay, that means that one day I won't be. And I know that, and I don't trick myself into thinking I'm going to be here forever as a CEO of this company, nor will my wife as co-CEO with me. I mean, we just know that we're going to be the best possible co-CEOs of this company for as long as we're responsible for it. And that takes all the pressure off of the ultimate future of this organization. It just means that right now, am I being the best leader possible for this company? And even though we own it 100%, my wife and I, we just see it that way that, you know, we're responsible and it's no different than how we see our kids uh-huh. like right now. They're under our roof. We are to be the best stewards of those kids as possible uh, or friendships or relationships. How do I steward them? Because maybe that relationship will wane over time, or maybe my influence with a mentee is only for a season of time. You know, it's, it's the stewardship element. So when you just look at your life and the things that you're called to do and you're part of, you know, when you look at it through the lens of, okay, I'm a steward of this. You just seem to accomplish a lot more. At least that's that's my experience. Yeah. And I notice one of the ways you tend to live this out practically is really spending the vast majority of your time doing what only you can do mm-hmm. and really delegating the rest and empowering other people. So I think I've heard correctly, you don't even really manage your own email. No. No, I... Uh... Right now, if you went in my inbox, I just checked right before this podcast, I had about six emails and I get about 150 a day. Uh-huh. Um, but the truth is, as a leader in an organization, you, you, you're the router for your company. You know, it's really like stuff's coming in because they think it's you, but really it's somebody else inside the organization. So it's really a lot of routing internally, you know, and so my assistant, she serves as air traffic control over my inbox. Um, she, she helps me pay attention to the things I, the only I can truly answer which is maybe 10 to 15% of the emails that actually hit my inbox or ones where they need, really need my response. And, and then there's other things like, you know, we want to, we want to make sure that we're responsive as an organization. And I can't ask my team to be responsive if I'm not responsive. Mm-hmm. And so um, and the big thing about responsiveness is this, <clears throat> you communicate all the wrong things when you don't respond, they fill in the blank with something <laughs> that may not be the right answer. And so right. for me, I don't, or it communicates that you don't care. I mean, there's just so many things that come along with that. Yeah. In the absence of information, people filled in with kind of the worst case scenario. Whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't want that. So I try to create a culture where we're very responsive as a company. And it, and, it, and we get compliments all the time. Like, my goodness, you guys are so quick, so responsive. Well, that starts with me. That starts with my wife and how we operate. So to do that well, we have to have an assistant that helps us stay on top of the things that only we can do. And we 
and get those other things out, you know, through organization as needed. And so does that extend beyond just your workplace for you, having assistant, having um, people you can delegate to? Does that extend into your personal life as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's no firewall between professional and private. Um, a corporate America likes to do that, you know, but, but for us though, you know, we just, we don't see a need. Like, so for example, my assistant, um, just booked us a rental car for our ski trip, um, helps us with scheduling dentist appointments and haircuts, you know, um, anything personally that we need help with because, and, and this is important for your, I think your audience to understand I'm a leader, whether I'm at work or home. Yeah. I just am. And uh-huh. so I, so if I, in the middle of my day, I have to stop and schedule a haircut, which doesn't take that long, but on a repetitive basis, it does. Why wouldn't I want to offload something like that? That's a lower payoff activity. So I can stay focused on the things that I need to do as an organization. For example, like this podcast, yeah. you know, I'm really the only one as a founder that can represent myself to you, you know, but my assistant can make sure that that rental car is booked or that emails out or whatever. So I can imagine people's people might hear that and think okay that's first of all that's the dream life so we're all hiring belay but also realistically you know aren't there things that you're you're the only one who can do or you're the one with the knowledge and the vision so how can you hand that off to someone else i mean so yeah picking up the the dry cleaning okay that makes a little more sense but then some of these things especially like handling emails uh, how do you get over that hump of handing it to someone else and trusting that they'll do it as well as you can? Well, first off, I acknowledge that they may do it better than me. You know, like I see a lot of, there's a, there's a fallacy with business owners or with entrepreneurs. Like, well, I'm the only one that can do this, this great. Yeah. <laughs> it's crap. Uh-huh. That's not true. Like I, they may do it well, but there, you probably can find 99 other people that can do it just as good or better than you. And, and, and so it's an ego thing mm-hmm. I've seen. And for me, I, I, you know, our ability to scale as an organization is directly related to my ability to delegate results. And it's, that's it. <laughs> so today, eight years into our business and where we are, I'm still finding ways to offload parts of me out to other people that can do a better job than me. You know, you know, it's the it's the find yourself in a in a situation where you can um, be excited about giving up a chunk of who you are to someone else and empowering them. Yeah, I mean, and that's if you do that enough times, your company will scale quicker than you think. It's it's actually very motivating too because you think, oh man, yeah. Once I hand it off to someone, then maybe I'll discover that there are people who can do it better. There might be that's a better right. way to do something that I'm not even seeing because I'm holding on so tight. Yeah, there's a couple of there's a couple of things that kind of fall into this when you when you kind of talk about this topic. The first is um, is trust, um, and then the other is um, like this sense of completion. So let's talk about trust for a second. Trust, your ability to trust, is directly connected to how fast your organization will scale. The more you can trust your trust somebody to do the job on your behalf, and you trust them with the result, not just the task and you truly do empower them and you get out of their way and you don't micromanage them, watch how your organization grows. And, and, and just trust is a fantastic currency. When you give mm. up trust, it becomes a fantastic currency for your team. They want the trust. Uh-huh. They value the trust. They'll prove that they're worthy of the trust. So uh, trust is the one that I find that younger um, entrepreneurs, not, not in age, but in, like their experience working in an organization or starting one, 
The other one is a sense of completion. We see this happen a lot is you'll have a really great leader and they're starting to give stuff up, but they hang on to one or two or three things that they just love doing. You know, what, one of them is I just love booking my travel. You know, you know why that is, it's, it's, it's really simple. It's because in their life, in their business, they're solving problems that are 30, 60, 90, 180 days in length. They never get a sense of completion. So if they can go in and 15 minutes book their trip, <laughs> they feel like, oh, I've, I've accomplished something today. Right. It's actually and like a hit of dopamine. Is, yeah. That's it. And, it. and so what we found is you have to teach people like, look, that, that is just you tricking yourself into thinking you accomplish something when that is a low payoff activity you need to hand off. And you do that stuff enough time, you're wasting your time as a leader. And so, but that's one example. I mean, there's tons of examples. I know leaders that just, the, they love the mother yard. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I'd rather take that time and spend it with my family. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, and so, but they, some people just love the feeling of it being done or seeing those fresh lines that they cut in the grass. And I, I get that. And that's something that just is so important. You didn't do it, but it's that sense of completion is something that is, it creates a trickery in mm. us that we got to hang on to these lower payoff activities. Okay. And you said a minute ago in, in talking about trust that you're delegating the result, not the task. Yep. So say more about that. Oftentimes when you have a really great person that joins your organization, they are hoping that you're going to treat them like an adult, not a kid. So what happens though, is we sit there and we go, okay, here are the 58 things you have to do to get to this thing. But I haven't really clarified and made it really clear what the result is. Mm. That's most of America today and working with a leader with an employee. Here's the 58 things to do. Let me know when you're done. And then that should equal the result I'm hunting down. That's not the way to lead. What you do is you say, listen, here's the result right up front. Here's the why. Here's why we're doing this. This is why your job is important here. If you can do this in 29 steps, then do it. (laughs) If it takes you 58 steps or 112, whatever, the result is what's expected of you. I'm here to support you. I'll be here for you. I'll resource you. I'll equip you. But the result's on you. And when you do that, really great adults, they love it because you're communicating all sorts of great things to them. So it's not, here's the, mm-hmm. you know, the 82 calls you need to make in a day. It's this equals the result for you because client satisfaction is this, or this is what it looks like when you have happy clients. And that's the result I expect from you. That may take 25 emails and, you know, 47 phone calls and whatever else, but that's on you to solve. The results this, I'm trusting you with the result. Yeah, and it gives them the ability to feel that ownership, which we know all humans are built for and want ownership. And so if you own it, you, you know, just like you with your business, you're going to take great care of it because you feel that ownership. So by giving them that result and letting them figure out the path, you actually kind of give them a gift of being able to feel that ownership. That's right. And the other thing we say oftentimes, I say a lot, is that you need to delegate the why Mm. over everything else. And the reason why you want to delegate the why is because when you're not around, they can fill in the blank. And that's important, especially when you're creating a virtual organization like ours. I'm not in everyone's house. <laughs> you know, I'm not around. I'm not, you know, I don't have the opportunity to gather everybody together in a bunch of cubicles and have a you know, team talk. I mean, we can do it with Zoom. <laughs> but the, the truth is, I'm not there. You have to fill in the blank. And so you can't fill in the blank if I'm not told you the end result or the why. Yeah. So the why for us trumps the how, the when, the what every single time. 
Wow, that's really cool. And I have had a number of leaders ask me, how can you think about culture with remote employees? And I think you just kind of answered a, a big, big part of that. It's, it's, it's informing them on what you expect and giving them the outcome or the why. You know, like when they know that the why behind the role is so important, they just take it serious. Yeah. Because they get it. They know that their why is connected to the bigger why of the organization. That's awesome. I mean, I, I know you've said, don't view an assistant as a quote unquote assistant, kind of the traditional right. old school view of that role. And and so that makes a lot of sense. If you're giving them that level of ownership, they are truly a co-owner. They are. I mean, and, and you know, I see this, this is a huge mistake that people, that people make with their assistant is they do that. They just treat them like an assistant or a secretary. And that's the worst thing you can do with somebody that's a really great assistant. Because my assistant serves as an extension as who I am. It's as if Brian's calling, but it's Hope doing it. Right. You're, you know, she's like, your personal CEO. <laughs> exactly. She is an extension of who I am. And so the more you can build that kind of, you know, business work connection with that person, they feel empowered to represent you in that way. You become four or five times the multiple of who you are because of that. It's just, it's crazy the multiple effect of that. Okay, so you mentioned kind of trusting people, delegating the result instead of the task, and and really explaining the why. I think what's so cool about this is a lot of us in our work are stuck in this kind of trading time for money. It's like we never actually get further than what we put in today. It's like today's efforts don't actually make tomorrow any better. It was just for today, and now I restart tomorrow. <laughs> and that's what I love about this multiplier concept. You know, what do you see are the effects of, of living this way yourself inside and outside of work? How does it snowball, I guess? Well, I think if you do it right, you'll have more opportunity than you can shake a stick at. I mean, it's, that's, that's true. Now I'm in a situation where my wife and I, we're evaluating opportunity that comes across our door, inside Blay and outside of Blay, um, where we get the opportunity to say no to most of it. You know, and, and, and we're grateful for those opportunities. So can we see our, 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 you know, ourselves as stewards of opportunity too? Yeah. Um, when you do it right, your team feels um, healthy. And when you do it right, they feel empowered. And, they, and when you do it right, they feel connected to the greater mission. There's a really great book called The Founder's Mentality. Um, I've read this book. It's an awesome book. I actually reference it in my book. But there's so many good things in there. When you're the founder of an organization, there's so many things that in your heart you want to, to like see live out in your company as it gets older and it's more established and it grows. And that book just does a great job to kind of list out several factors. But, you know, we're, we're eight years in. We're, you know, we're, we're definitely a medium-sized corporation today. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're not in that season of early struggle and startup anymore. And, you know, the business feels different. We, we shifted from a, a small company to a medium-sized corporation. And those things feel different now and and then they will be as we continue to scale up you uh-huh. know and that's our hope and our plan so the reason why i say that to you all of these principles still apply regardless of size of organization they are i'm a steward i delegate the why i trust people i i try and communicate their value in, in terms of the result that's expected of them i i, I try and um, empower leaders as much as possible to do the job to think through things in the way that i would want to see it done as an owner but ultimately, it's up to them to do that. And so you, there, there's this there's this change that happens kind of in your organization from a small to, say, medium-sized corporation. But the, the values and the principles can stay really rock solid. Yeah. And that's our hope, you know, for the season of time that I truly am the CEO of this company. Wow. It's really inspiring stuff, Brian. Um, I think some people listening 
So some are more maybe in your position, but some are maybe way earlier in the journey or just hearing about this concept for the first time. So if anyone is kind of inspired to take action in this direction and, you know, learn how to kind of multiply themselves, give them a practical first step that they could take because it's overwhelming to think to jump from zero to kind of where you're at in this. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I get asked that question a lot. I think the first thing you do is you just list out all the things that you do in your daily life, mm. personal and professional, uh-huh. and you just get them out on a sheet of paper. You literally just puke it up on a sheet of paper and you say, <laughs> here's the things I do on a daily, weekly basis. And then you look at that list, which is probably a big list, and you say to yourself, how do I prioritize this? So that's the next thing is like, okay, well, well do I need to do all of this? Could I offload some of this? And we have some tools that we could share with your audience later in terms of how to prioritize and also how to delegate the things that you love doing and also recognizing the things you hate doing. Mm. So, you know, the, I think the, those are the first few things I would, I would do is just get it out on a sheet of paper, all the things that you do, personal and professional. Just look at that body of work and then start to say to yourself, is there someone else that could be helping me do this? Um, whether that's my company or some other organization or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's, it's you know, how do you start to multiply yourself through building a team. And this is very important. A lot of entrepreneurs, they trick themselves into thinking that having an assistant is a luxury. It's not. It is not a luxury. Stop thinking that. Mm. It's actually a necessity. And here's the thing. Here's something else I know is that nothing great only happened with one person. It takes a team. So if you're looking to have an organization that's of meaning, of size, of scale, it's going to be more than you. So the sooner you get there, the better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can be a testament of that too. Hiring a VA through you guys was one of the first things I did in starting a business. Because yeah, you just quickly realize like I'm the bottleneck for everything. (laughs) And, but what I love is you said, you know, build a team. You can even think about that, not just in the work context, even just across your whole life. If you're going to really live out your mission and your calling, which is what we're always talking about on this podcast, then, you know, at some point you do have to start getting focused on the things that are right in the bullseye of that. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, just a huge thanks for coming on the podcast, sharing some of that wisdom and just about your journey. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I think anybody can follow Brian on uh, Brian Miles, B-R-Y-A-N-M-I-L-E-S on Twitter, Instagram, on LinkedIn. Where would be the best place for people to find you or follow you? Well, there's a couple of places. The first is if you're if you know somebody that would make a great assistant or bookkeeper for our, our company, they can go to belaysolutions.com and apply there. If you're, uh, if you're somebody that's like, oh my goodness, I need this service. That's the same website, belaysolutions.com. You know, look at our services, see what we have to offer. That's the best first place to go. Um, I also wrote a book about building a virtual organization. Um, it's our story. It's not the playbook. It's a playbook on how to do a virtual company. And that website's virtualculturebook.com. And that's, those are probably the best places to find us and interact with us out in social media. Awesome. And keep your eyes open, everybody. I know uh, you have a webinar coming up soon and maybe another one after that. I'm telling you, it's, it, they put really good content out, not just to provide virtual assistant services, but also to kind of help you become a delegator and a multiplier. So again, belaysolutions.com. Brian Miles, and thanks for coming on so much. Thank you. It was awesome to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
Okay, Brian, you got to give us your book reco. I guess you can break the rule because I think you mentioned another one. What What are your, <laughs> besides your own books, besides your own books, what are your two recommendations? Well, I, I definitely read these two I'm about to recommend before my book, no doubt. <laughs> uh, the, the first one is Predictable Success. Uh, it's a fantastic read on um, really identifying where you are, uh, if you're a startup or an organization, and the things you've got to do to basically remain in predictable success with your business. It, I recommend this book probably more than any other book out there from a business standpoint. The second one is really meant for founders of organizations and like leadership teams where founders are part of it still. It's called The Founder's Mentality. It's such a great read to create, you know, to create and maintain a really healthy, engaging, um, relevant company culture. Cool. Well, yeah, those are actually both new to me. So I'm going to pick those up right away. Well, I, I think they're fantastic reads. They've helped me a ton. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. Don't forget to subscribe and come on, do us a favor, leave a five-star review. It'll help others find the show too. 